Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Lloyd Ogilvie, in his book entitled Life Without Limits, tells the story of a pastor who in the space of one week overheard the following comments from various people. He heard a young man say, my parents, they have fantastic goals for me to take over the family business. It's not what I want to do, but their pressure is unbearable. A college woman said, I'm being pressured by my boyfriend to live with him before we're married. You know, sort of try it out, make sure that we're right for each other. A husband said, my wife, she's never satisfied. Whatever I do, however money, much money I make, it's never quite enough. Life with her is like living in a pressure cooker with the lid fastened down and the heat turned up. A middle-aged wife said, My husband thinks that my faith is silly. And when I feel his resistance to Christ, I wonder if maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm confused. As a result, I've developed two separate lives, one I live with him and one I live with my Christian friends. An elderly woman said, My sister, she thinks she knows all the answers about faith. And she tries to convince me of her point of view. I feel pressured to become her brand of Christian, but I keep thinking if it means being like her, I don't want anything to do with it. A young pastor at a clergy conference said, I hardly know who I am anymore. There are so many points of view in my congregation, I just can't satisfy them all. Everyone wants me to side with his or her ministry and shape the church around their convictions. I just can't do it anymore. I don't know what to do. Now, can any of you identify with these pressures or pressures similar to this? I think, yeah. If we've lived any time at all, we're going to have those pressures of life. Do they make your head spin out of control sometimes? Life is absolutely chock full of pressures. And let me remind you of something that I know that you already know, but I want to say it again. I want to say that your faith in God, no matter how strong, no matter how mature it is, does not and will not take away the pressures of life. It will help us deal with the pressures of life, hopefully in a good way, but it won't take them away. In fact, being a Christian also adds extra pressures that we wouldn't have if we weren't Christians. I hope that no one ever told you that when you trusted Jesus with your life, that the pressures of this life would go away. Uh Uh-uh, not going to happen. But there is good news. Now, I can relate to most of those things that that pastor overheard. Because I, like you, have my own pressures. My family has our own pressures. But here is our critical question that we need to answer today. How do I handle pressure in a way that will, one, bring me peace, and two, satisfy God in the process? We know from our reading from our Gospel Mark today that Herod, he didn't do a such good job of handling pressure. We know Herod as a leader was selfish, immoral, a political opportunist, and as we heard from Scripture today, a murderer. Now, there are not many people, I think, enjoy having their sins pointed out in public, and Herod certainly didn't like John pointing out his sins to him. 
seems that Herod was involved in an illegal marriage, some sort of a wife swap or something with Philip, his brother. And of course, John the Baptist came along and said, uh-uh-uh, that's not what you should be doing publicly and apparently multiple times pointing out that Herod was in the wrong. Herod needed to change his ways. And we hear this same story from Matthew chapter 14 as well as from our gospel in Mark 6. We hear this. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that John was a righteous and holy man, and Herod kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So here in John's favor is the fact that Herod liked him, apparently well enough to even deal with what John was saying about him in public. Maybe, in fact, because John was one of his few few people around him that actually spoke the truth to Herod. Maybe that's what Herod appreciated so much. But as we know from our story today, Herod was in between a rock and a hard place. On the one hand, he couldn't afford to have John continually reminding the people about their leader's sins, but he was also afraid to have John killed. So as a temporary solution, he imprisoned John. Pressure, we know, finally forced his hand, though. It all happened at Herod's birthday. He was giving a, a big party in his palace in Tiberias. He had all of his military officers, the leading citizens around the Sea of Galilee. They were all there having a good time, undoubtedly drinking a lot of wine. The story goes that Herod's daughter, now I don't know if this is his daughter, more likely it's his niece, his brother Philip and Herodias' daughter. But whatever the reason, she came out and did what some consider probably a very lewd dance. Herod was pleased by her performance, possibly even aroused by her performance. So he promised her anything she wanted, anything up to half of his kingdom. Now we have to stay, stop here and say Herod was not really a king. Herod was there only because the Roman authorities wanted someone who knew the folks in that area. So Herod could not really give away land, give away property. It really all belonged to Rome. But nonetheless, he gave this oath and promised. So Herodias did what any good daughter does. Go to her mom for advice. Mom, what should I ask king for? Well, this sealed John's fate because Herodias obviously held a grudge against John. And she asked for John the Baptist's head on a tray. Verse 26 tells us how Herod finally gave in to the pressure. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. Has anyone given you advice that sounds something like this? Don't give in. There's going to be consequences. Just put it out of your head. Don't go there. And we all know that's a lot easier said than done, right? Because some of the pressures we feel are very real and very hard for us. When someone comes to you and shares what they're going through, and we tell them, ah, just put it out of your head, it makes us sound holier than thou. It makes us sound as if we're somehow better or stronger than they are. 
What I want us to see today is that the pressures that Herod was facing are very similar to the same kinds of pressures that we face. No, we don't have to have a pressure of having a big party for a whole bunch of important people or whether or not to put to death someone, but we have our own challenges in life. First pressure I want to talk about today that Herod had and we have is the pressure of popularity. Herod Antipas, from our gospel today, was the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great, of course, the one that was around and in in control of the area when Jesus was born. Murdered all of those children, hoping that he would murder this so-called Messiah at the same time. He was the one that had expanded Temple Mount and had rebuilt the fortress at Masada, along with many other achievements. And so here comes his son, Herod Antipas. And he followed in his dad's footsteps as a builder. Now, it's a little hard to see, but the Romans broke apart this area of the world, what we have now is Israel and Syria and a few other places. And in the two darkest red portions, that's where Herod Antipas was given control over. He built his capital city of Tiberias on the west bank of the Sea of Galilee. And then he also did some things down on the on the east side of the Jordan River and the Dead Sea. So he had control of these two separate places. He ruled this region around Galilee and further down south for the Roman authorities, as I said. So he obviously faced the pressure of keeping the Romans happy. He, of course, faced the pressure from the people as well. You think about it, you got to keep the people happy or they'll get you in trouble with the Romans. you got to keep the Romans happy or, well, at best, you're going to be looking for a new job. At worst, you're going to lose your life. So Herod had the pressure of popularity. And Herod's pressure is no different than many of us feel. It's no different than our political and politicians face. Their livelihood our politicians today, depend on people electing them and then re-electing them. Therefore, they're hopefully going to propose and be in favor of things that the majority of their constituents are in agreement about. Of course, this is true in a perfect world. Our political climate in 2021 is anything but perfect. So there's all sorts of extra pressures now, whether it be from their own party, from another party, from their constituents, from those who put money down to get them elected, their pressures come from everywhere. Bring this a little closer to home, something that directly impacts us. Our children and our youth all face pressures today in all sorts of different social groups, at school and extracurricular activities. I know we face the same thing. It probably looked much different when many of us were in school, but it was the same. Everyone wants to be popular. Everyone wants to be liked. The boys want to be popular with the girls. At a little bit earlier time frame, the girls want to be popular with the boys, and it doesn't always work out that way. But we want to be good at, we want to be popular, whether it's with our musician friends, with our academic friends in sports or clubs, anything with our peers, we want to be popular. I can remember one Brady Bunch episode where Jan, the middle daughter, was going to follow Marsha to high school. And she was so sick and tired of hearing about how good Marsha was at everything and how good she achieved things in high school that Jan, she didn't want to go. In fact, you'll probably recognize a line from that one. 
that episode where Jan says, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Everything was about her. Everyone wanted to talk about Marsha. And here comes Jan. A lot of us still have the pressure to do well at work, be liked by our boss, maybe a little bit more well-liked than the other employees around us, because maybe that'll mean a raise for us or a special opportunity for us. We want to be the one who comes up with something wonderful for our country that fixes production or fixes some problems in the system, and maybe we'll get recognized company-wide. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with being popular. There's so many people that it seems to come easy to. But when it is wrong is when we start acting in an unethical way or act in a way that's contrary to the way God wanted us to live and be. For Herod, it meant murdering an innocent man just to keep from losing face with the people at his party. Herod actually gives us a negative example, but with a positive lesson. Our first critical point today is this. Don't do something God would not want you to do just to be popular. Be who God created you to be. And if you haven't figured that out yet, continue to learn about yourself. Continue to pray. Continue to ask the Spirit to be in you, asking you, what are the gifts that you want me to be using, and how should I be using them? Now, following God may mean that you're never popular with the in crowd, kind of like I was never popular with the in crowd, but we need to use those gifts and talents that God has given you, and you will be popular with him. And really, that's critical. A second pressure that Herod faced was the pressure of conformity. He had John, he had his wife, he had the people, his daughter, all pressuring him to conform to what they wanted him to be. John's pressure was for him to conform to God's law. It was unlawful for him to be married to his brother's wife. It was an adulterous relationship that he, he needed to get out of. This was a pressure that Herod should have given into, but didn't. And he was pressured to do his wife's bidding and do away with John completely. This pressure he did conform to and probably shouldn't have. He was pressured by his daughter to give in to his wife's request for John the Baptist's head. Another pressure he shouldn't have given in to, but he did. Pressure to conform by the people there at his party that he had made oaths in front of him. Again, a negative response. Herod actually made three bad choices and zero good choices. But we can learn something from that. Because the pressure to conform is not foreign to you and I at all. There are so many ways that we are pressured to conform to someone else's viewpoint or attitude, their way of living, their way of dressing, their way of talking, their political leaning, their cultural beliefs, their traditions. And sometimes these feed off the popularity pressure as well. At work or school or in some organization or social group that you're at, often we look for those folks who we think are popular and then we, we try to model ourselves after what they are doing or thinking or believing. The final pressure that Herod dealt with was the pressure of belief or faith or religion, we might call it. We learned that Herod actually appreciated John. And he actually appreciated what Jesus was teaching in his region. He was interested in Jesus and John. 
But here was another pressure he should have given into, but didn't. He didn't seek them out to learn more about what it means to live under God's law. Friends, we know that with so many cultures represented in the United States of America now, there is more pressure than there once was. And I suppose it's always been true that other cultures and religions have been represented in the United States. But for so many years, those different cultures either practiced their religion more privately or they just accepted the more popular Christian culture of America. But we know that this is not true any longer. So we, particularly our children and youth, are facing more pressure to be influenced by or to accept or to allow the intermixing of all these different religions. I'm not telling you anything you don't know when I say that no longer is Christianity viewed as the one and only right religion. But of course, here is where it comes in all of those different views, all those different sides, and everything is simply black or white. But friends, what so often gets lost in the rhetoric that we are here and are fed is that we must use our Savior as our role model and not anyone else. No matter how popular someone is, he's not Jesus. No matter how well she speaks about a certain thing she's passionate about, she is not Jesus. We need to use our Savior as our role model. Because the complex issues that we have today, I think they pale in comparison to the complex issues that Jesus faced when he was here on our earth. He was living through a foreign occupation. The Romans had come in and they occupied this part of the world. He was dealing with the cultural and religious hatred of Samaritans and all the other Gentiles. He was dealing with the misguided religious leaders, the endless rules, restrictions, and rituals, And the poor regular folks, well, they were kind of stuck in the middle. And in case you wonder where you fit in today, folks, you are the poor regular folks kind of stuck in the middle. Yeah, we and our children fit that category today. Remember, Jesus' times were not less complex than our times. But we need to continue to be the salt and light to those who we come into contact with in our daily walk. Because if we can't be civil to someone who believes differently than we do, who talks differently than we do, who has a different way of doing things than we do, then we've already lost that chance. If we preach of only intolerance and hate and you stay on your side and I'll stay on mine, if we continue to say to other faith groups and other world perspectives that their ways are simply false and you need to get on board with what I'm taking then we're condemning them without getting to know them personally to find out why they believe why they believe and why we believe what we believe. How can we possibly expect to share Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord and the love he has for everyone if we can't even do that simple thing? To start with, we must stop thinking of those others, them, as groups, and think of them as individuals. Does it sound simple or easy? (laughs) No, it's not simple, and it's not going to be. Another thing our Lord never promised us, a life of ease. 
We Christians in 2021 must walk a much different path than we did just a few decades ago. We have to educate ourselves about other faith groups, other beliefs, other options, why the world perspectives are out there. And we can't educate ourselves only with the talking heads on TV who give us only half-truths. We have to be intentional. We have to be willing to devote time and energy to learn and educate ourselves so that we are prepared when that opportunity arises to talk to someone. We must do, no, we get to do the very difficult but extraordinary work of sharing the truth of God's love about the son that came to earth to live as one of us, where he lived a life that was perfect so we don't have to be perfect, died a death in your place, commissioned you to go and preach and teach and baptize we know a God who sent his spirit to live inside of us. That it springs up at baptism or springs up when the word of God is preached or taught or when we share the Holy Supper. Our God is a God that will come again one day to take us home to be with him forever. But to rid the world of everything that is not connected to him, including damning forever those people who we don't get the chance to talk to or share the gospel with because we won't or can't or aren't allowed to learn how to speak to those folks. So the critical word for all of us today is don't give in. Don't let anyone or anything get into your head. Don't give in to the pressure to be popular to the point that you change the way that God made you to be. Don't conform to others' ideas of how you should be and how you should act and what you should be doing. Conform only to God's standards. Let your role model be Jesus alone. Don't give in to the pressure to push away those people who don't know who our loving God is. I'm going to wrap up with a story. Luciano Pavarotti, one of the great tenors, said, When I was a boy, my father, a baker, introduced me to the wonders of song and music. He urged me very hard to develop my voice. There was a, a very professional and renowned tenor named Arrigo Pola in my hometown of Modena, Italy. He took me in as a pupil. And at the same time, I also enrolled in a teacher's college. On graduating, I asked my father, Shall I be a teacher? Or a singer? Luciano, my father, replied, if you try to sit in two chairs, you're going to fall between them. For life, you must choose one chair. Luciano says, I chose one. It took seven years of study and frustration before I made my first professional appearance. It took another seven years to reach the Metropolitan Opera. And now I think, whether it's laying bricks, writing a book, whatever we're doing, we should stick to it. Commitment, that's the key. Choose one chair. Friends, I ask you to pick that one chair. Pick that chair, not that the world has chosen for us, not that our family has chosen for us, but pick the chair that God has chosen for us. And look to him to be with you as you go through your days. Look for the Holy Spirit's power to be working in you and leading you. Look to Jesus to help you deal with the pressures of life. 
Friends, don't give in. Don't give up. Look only to Jesus. Amen.